Welcome to a Neon Jazz interview with one of the finest singers in jazz today and with some of the best jazz stories that you will ever hear. During the course of this revealing interview, Miss Deborah Brown talks about a career that has spanned decades, taking her all over the world to deliver her stellar voice backed by some of the best musicians in the world. From her base in Kansas City, Missouri, she talked to Neon Jazz about working with Slide Hampton, her humble beginnings in the famed Kansas City jazz scene, along with many more surprises. Dig it. You have a very interesting story, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this will unravel as we speak. So you were born and raised in Kansas City. What was that like being in a jazz town? Uh, well, it was wonderful. We had a lot of opportunities. Um, we, I went to a, um, half the time I went to a place called Carn Theater, which was uh, probably down, you know, like in the 8th Street and they had a school there that allowed young people to go. And actually, we got school credit in the 70s for that. Um, and people like Whoopi Goldberg and, you know, people like that, are, they had that. We had a lot of things going on in Kansas City at that time. So that's how I kind of got my theater background. And uh, then I decided um, I learned how to sing uh, jazz music with Eddie Baker's New Breed Band. Uh, they had a big band, and I had to wait all night long uh, to perform in the basement with the band. And I started singing, and they kind of liked it. So they were kind of excited, and, and I got a chance to sing with them for quite a number of years, but just little, you know, places here and there. So that was, it was really uh, nice. I played with Sonny Kenner. That's how I learned how to sing the blues. Um, Frank Smith. um uh, he had a trio. Mike Ning had his uh, had his trio. Um, how many? There were a lot of places to play. Betty and Milt Abel, they were around. It, it was really a swinging era. So it sounds like you were baptized by fire being around all of these folks like Sonny Kenner and all of these that kind of got you, you know, ingrained in the in the music scene. They were so nice. Everybody was so nice. Everybody wanted to share and teach you things, and, and they were encouraging. You know, it was, it was really nice. Maybe that's the reason why the jazz organism is so strong, because people do have that, that spirit of lending and helping, and it, it sounds like a really nice community. Oh, it's not nice anymore. <laughs> oh, is that right? Not saying that, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of cutthroat now because, you know, money's tight. You know how it is when, you know, you got the fish... You got the fish, and the and the pond is, is 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 drying up, and you know everybody's on top of everybody else. So, yeah. But there are there is a lot of more education now. There was no education uh, when I went to UMKC. They had three uh, jazz musicians there, and they had long hair, and they were going around trying to look cool, and they weren't. But <laughs> everybody else had to learn how to play classical music. That's how we were trained. Sure. There was no jazz in in the university at that time. Right. So I mean the music that you learn jazz if you wanted to learn jazz or blues you had to go on the, you had to go to the clubs and go to the places where the musicians were. So now everybody gets an education and now there's a lot of people out there working so I mean the pond is getting muddy. But when so you No, it's, it's not I don't think it's a, it's not a lot of sharing going on and there's not a lot of people that want to learn right now especially in Kansas City. Because everybody's trying to make a living. Right. 
That's so, how I look at it. So I don't mean to be negative, but that's just kind of how it is to no, me. No, I, I understand. And I, I get that feeling that back in the day, so to speak, maybe you know, two or three decades back, you did actually have to go into a club to learn how to do it, whereas now you can go to a university and get that education. Right. And, you know, we did stuff for free because we didn't ex- – we, we got paid. Wow. Really? We get money? I mean, it was kind of like that in those days. I mean, the musicians that I was playing with, you know, it was all about the money. But, I mean, for people that were coming up like me, boy, if you, you know, if you slip me a few bucks, I was like, really? I make money? (laughs) We had to pay for $120 down at the top of the Hilton. That was my first, like, kind of professional job where I actually had a band. 120 bucks a week is what I made. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that was good money in those days. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, let me let me <laughs> and kind then, of uh, and then I hired some musicians and then I I got you know I got the uh, to manage all the money and pay the musicians. I've always wanted to pay the musicians a fair wage. So uh, sure. And one of the first ones I hired down there was Ever- Everett Devan. Uh huh. That's great. Let me let me go. Hello? I'm I'm here. I'm here. I I want to go back to the beginning. Uh, of 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 things when you started singing, talk to me about your family. How do they influence you getting into music, and what kind of influence have they played on you? Well, I had a very clever mother. Uh, we we came from like you know lower middle class family, uh, but and my my dad, my mom and my dad worked, and uh, in order to keep us five kids out of trouble, my mother had to be very clever and how she uh, promoted the things that we were interested in to make sure that we were not all running around on the streets. And what she did for me was uh, she heard that I was, you know, at a very young age I was interested in music and singing, and she had us, uh, you know, she had us singing in a choir. She was a classical musician, so she was really one of the finest organ players I've ever heard, uh, but she plays uh, uh, classical music. And uh, so we were singing, you know, uh, uh, handled Messiah, you know, just me and my sisters. We were like the Pointer Sisters in those days. And, and but my my other two sisters, they didn't take singing that seriously. But uh, so it was uh, a very musical family. Whenever anybody came to the house, yeah, I had to sing a song. My sister was really great at dancing, so she had to dance, and you know, it was that kind of thing. That's what people did in those days. I'm not that old, by the way. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like I am, but. Uh, that's just what people did. Uh, so we that's how I, I came up. And then my mother kind of thrust me in a direction uh, where I could get more uh, serious uh, uh, learning. And so she put me in a, a jazz, she put me in a camp where there were very, very talented singers and musicians, people that are around today. And uh, we were all friends, and we were kids, and we were up there by, um, we used to play at this place by, um, is it, uh, where they have the, the gardens uh, out on Warnell Road. Uh, there's a school there, a very nice school there, and we would sleep over on Thursday nights. A whole school of children, and we got uh, we got trained by people at the uh, at the. Um, Midland uh, Theater, the, I'm sorry, the Lyric uh, Theater Company were our teachers, our singing teachers, and the musicians were just fantastic musicians, and uh, and we had choirs, and 
it was really a very interesting upbringing. So my mother made sure that I got into programs like this. And there were a lot more programs for, for kids at that age than maybe there are now. I don't have children, but it just seems like there's a, there was a lot of us things for us to do. So uh, my father loved uh, to play the trombone, and uh, he went to uh, Lincoln University, graduated from there, and... Uh, you know, jazz music was kind of looked down on in the black community, and so he got his education, and he went into uh, public service. He was a parole officer here in Kansas City and started the first uh, drug rehabilitation program, drug and alcohol, halfway house is what he started here. Anyway, um, so he was listening to jazz music every Saturday when he had his day off in the basement, and he'd play, I mean, he was a very experimental man. He wanted to hear everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, we had Jim, Jimi Hendrix and, you know, you, you name it, he had it. Now, he had Miles. He loved jazz, Miles and Dizzy. Uh, he loved J.J. Loved Johnson because, of course, he was a trombone player. And, you know, he loved Jerry Mulligan. You name it, he had all the records. And I heard all of that growing up. But we're listening to Motown and... We're listening to all. We're listening to everything on t on the uh, on the uh, on the radio. And then my mother is practicing Bach and Chopin and you know all the classical great artists. And she's trying to learn jazz with uh, Andre Previn. Learn how to play jazz. Classical musicians learn how to play jazz through Andre Previn's books. So I mean, we our house was full of music. It, sounded- it was a really great up upbringing in that way. Yeah. And I was allowed to play the piano. We had a grand piano, and I was allowed to fool around on the piano for hours on end. Uh, Even at my high school, we had a a choir and had a great great, uh, school director there who helped me to get into uh, the university early. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went to UMKC, you know, before I graduated from high school. They had singing department there, and I had the... uh, singing lessons there, and we had a teacher that came from the Metropolitan Opera my first year, and I auditioned, and I was able to get into her class, so I was going to, on my road to being an opera singer, (laughs) that was what I was slated to be. Interesting. So, speaking of your career, you've been all over the world, you've recorded, it says, uh, 11 albums as a leader, many as a guest soloist, and I noticed that Slide Hampton, author James Baldwin, there's a lot of names that pop out here. When you think about your career up to this point, what really stands out? What was it like to learn from people like that? Oh, there were, you know, it's, it's funny, when you, you know, when you go through that, it's it's awesome, but when you stop and you look back, it's even more awesome learning experience. I mean, after it's all said and done, I would say that, you know, Johnny Griffin was my mentor. Whenever I would bring music to him, he's like, oh, let me hear you sing the changes on that. I mean, who else? I mean, that's, you know, that was awesome. He was great. He was a great mentor. Uh, And I loved the way he formed his uh, music, you know, having worked with Monk for so many years and uh, the little giant, as they call him over there, uh, and the way that he, his writing style, you know, I, I, I sing a lot of his music, uh, helps me, helped me analyze how he was thinking, he, he thinks backwards. That's, anyway, it's diff, you know, it's that, a simplistic way of saying is that he writes backwards. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't write forward, he writes backwards. So that was a wonderful experience. But when I think about him, and uh, I had made a record with uh, him and Benny Bailey, um, Ed Thigpen, who used to play with uh, Oscar Peterson Trio, Red Mitchell, who played with Sarah and, who, and Billie Holiday. I mean, all these guys in the studio together, and it was wonderful, yeah. absolutely. And then uh, <laughs> I was thinking about Dorothy Dunnigan was a great pianist, too. She could play absolutely everything from boogie-woogie to, you know, the, the classical greats, and she was wild. And she she would uh, she would look at me and she and I would go to the dressing room after the concert because we had a, I, I played in a lot of festivals and she would be in the dressing room and I would say well you know the you know the band what do you think about these guys these are like local guys and she would look at me and just shake her head like nah <laughs> <laughs> she was really tough on musicians but there was a few that she really really liked that she got along with and she got along with Red Mitchell very well. And uh, she and Red were in New York, and they were auditioning drummers for the upcoming date. And uh, she looks at uh, uh, this young man coming in, and he's got all these drums, and he's he's just playing all over the place trying to tune his drums. Meanwhile, Dorothy is looking at Red Mitchell, and she's like shaking her head, "Uh uh-uh, no way. (laughs) And she walks out. And then the drummer looks at Red and said, hey, what's going on? When is the audition? He says, oh, you've already had the audition. It's over. (laughs) You know, things like that. She was a very, very funny woman. That's nice. So when I think about people like that, James Baldwin, that was a highlight, too, because he was a fantastic, you know, he's a fantastic writer, but really his interviews were extremely interesting. And even though he'd have a whole bottle of fifth of scotch, he was so lucid, and his thoughts and his words, the way he used words, was masterful. Absolutely. I felt so sorry for him because, you know, he was just basically telling the truth about society, but uh-huh. nobody wants to hear that. So he had a lot of death threats on him, and that was really sad to see that he was kind of drowning his sorrows because he just wanted to be accepted. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of sor- sad, but that was the only record that he ever made uh, with his voice, and he always wanted to sing, so he sang "Amazing Grace," and uh, he'd been drinking pretty heavily that day, and he sang it all by himself a cappella. And Bob Stewart was playing the tuba, and every course was maybe three steps lower, and you know, and several paces slower. So it was really very out and very unusual and Bob got around that music and just played right along with him and it and it turned out to be really amazing to me anyway and then uh, just to hear his voice uh reciting his poetry on record was was really nice it was a really great record yeah so um working you know and recently I worked with the Lee Connets a couple of years ago standing next to him and play playing one of my favorite songs, Bob Licity, uh, Miles Davis tune, because he was on that record, you know, Birth of the Cool. Yeah. And it was just wonderful to play with him and feel the timing, and I really learned so much. All these guys have a feeling when you're on stage with them that uh-huh. you can't really uh, put your finger on, but it's the way they played together. 
and the fact that I was kind of on the cusp of those guys going off, because most of them are dead now, but just the way they felt when they when you played with them was very extraordinary. It doesn't, uh, it, it's something that can't really quite be duplicated. And um, I would say even that with way is with uh, Bobby Bobby Watson. Bobby Watson also has that that Kansas City lilt and the way that that he plays because he 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 has also been with so many guys that have played together. When you play with people in the same era, they have a way of playing uh, that no other generation or era will be able to duplicate because something new has happened. So it makes it really interesting to be straddle two eras. Yeah, so no, 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 no. What I wanted, I wanted to pick it. Talk all night. No, no. I I love your stories. That that's that's what I was really wanting to hear. Yeah, these are wonderful stories. But what I've always heard when you get next to greatness like that is that there's a fierce intensity, and it is hard to put your finger on it. But it's totally all inspiring to be around that. Well, what that is is um, these guys um, play with rhythm sections because. No record company is really financing your whole group. Uh, Norman Grants was one of those rare guys that uh, got the opportunity for, for for people to play together that, that love to play together, self-contained groups. But after that era happened, see, you weren't with your group that often, unless you were making a great, you know, a great career, good record. Mostly these guys have to go and play with, like, you know, millions of different rhythm sections all over the place. Okay, so what happens? Are you going to be, and some of them are really bad. Some of them are great, but some of them, and I would say most are really, were really bad. Mm-hmm. So what Johnny Griffin taught me was, no matter what you hear, you got to be yourself and you got to play, and play as strongly as you can, and just do your thing, and don't worry about the train wrecks happening behind you. And that determination to get your art out there and just be out there. I mean, today, a lot of groups would cringe to hear me say things like that, but if that's the way you have to make your living and you can play your music that way and you have originals that you have to present to the audience, you'll 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 pretty much play with anybody in any circumstances in order for your music to be heard, and that's kind of how it was in those days, even though it's a little different now and people uh, suffer in, in order for their entire uh self-contained group to be on stage is it doesn't happen that often not very many musicians even to musicians even today uh have the kind of uh you know financial backing in order to fly to europe uh get on a train or a car or a plane and take in five or six guys you know and go from place to place even right. though europe is you know, it's small and it's easy to do that. Uh, it does cost quite a quite a bit of money with the fuel. You know, gal- gas over there we complain about three four dollars a gallon. They're up to almost eight dollars a gallon now, yeah. and that's really difficult touring money. Absolutely. But uh, so that when you get next to them, oh yeah, they know what they're doing, and uh, and you, you 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 know you better have your thing together. Yeah. And. Uh, and that determination, and, but but basically, when you get to that level and you're playing with somebody like that, it is so much fun. You're learning so much; it makes you rise up to what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You always try to play with someone better than you are, so that you can get so you can learn more in your in your craft grows. I I learned that actually from a very strange guy, uh, Billy Mitchell. Billy Mitchell 
played with Duke Ellington's orchestra, and uh, a lot of people probably don't know him, but I did a tour with him, and it was just awesome to play with this guy. Uh, and he plays saxophone, and it was, you know, the the ease at which uh, he handles handled his instrument, and uh, and it was so much fun. It was so many different different quotes that you know that he did and it just inspired me to do things and it we just fed off of each other and it was and it was just really a lot of fun that's wonderful so so speaking uh, it is it is nice because you you feel the creativity and uh it's nothing like it (laughs) absolutely so speaking of traveling it says that you had a 12-year residency in europe and you've been all over the world what places have stuck out to you as is as the most memorable, or you spent the most quality time there? Well, because, you know, I mean, music is, you know, really my bent. Uh, I'm thinking of music places, and one of the finest places I, I've really enjoyed is Holland. Uh, the musician, the level of musicianship is very high, and yet the musicians are very humble, and that's a wonderful, because, you know, <laughs> you can play with the greatest musician in the world, but if they're not humble, it's just a pain and you know, it's, just a real pain to play with them. So I've, I've been surrounding myself with very nice musicians and just high-quality musicians. And not only that, it's just that, you know, I mean, of course, you know, Chet Baker, you know, lived quite a long time there. He died there. Uh, ben Webster was there. Uh, you name it, you know, there's, you know, jazz greats were there. And there's a reason why, why jazz people are there. Uh, also, Copenhagen, uh, you know, uh, but for me, actually, it was a place where a lot of, you know, expats were, musicians were there. Paris, uh, but Paris is not very interesting to me. But uh, Sweden also is a really beautiful place. Uh, it's a lovely place there uh, because, the, the uh, you know, I, I did a festival last year with Quincy Jones, was our grandfather of the, of the jazz festival, and we got a chance to eat, eat together and he talked about, you know, his, you know, everything that's in his book is what he talks about, you know, all the times and all the people, and you know, and he's made that record call. Have you met that uh, re- recording? Have you met Benny Bailey? That's a song that he wrote for Benny Bailey, and I played with Billy Benny Bailey, and he was the greatest musician in the world, and he lived up there for quite a while. Those are really memorable places for me. London, London was a very interesting place, uh, interesting because of Pete, Pete, uh, Pete King. And uh, at the at the uh, famous uh, place I played there several times. Uh, what's the name of that club in London that I played? That Ronnie Scott's. Uh-huh. Ronnie Scott. I knew Ronnie Scott. Ronnie Scott was a really funny man. He made a nice book too. But <clears throat> all of those musicians there. And what was nice about that was I got a chance to play opposite Joshua Redman. It's nice to be able to to play with these different musicians because you have to play two shows. There's always two two acts that are there, so you get a chance to you know uh, to have fun. <laughs> so Joshua Redman, who was quite intense young man, very you know intelligent and whatever. Christian McBride, very funny, mm-hmm. <laughs> very funny. Uh, guy, uh, and then uh, I also play opposite uh, one of my favorite musicians uh, uh, who, who died not too long ago, uh, and he sang Moody's Mood. is amazing, you know, James Moody, 
and that was fantastic, you know, a week or two at Barani Scott's. So that's a very memorable place because they love jazz. You know, they, they have the best of the jazz musicians there, you know, the best of the jazz musicians there. And, you know, and they record all of the the most fantastic musicians America's ever produced, you know, uh, even if people around the world as well. You know, Chucho, Chucho Valdez, you know, had a nice interview with him on BBC. That was a beautiful thing where he's playing, you know, just beautiful music from every era. He can play like anybody, but he plays like himself. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling. No, now. no, you, the, these stories are intriguing. I love it. This they is... have. Uh, they also did a fantastic uh, program on James Baldwin, which I wish they would show those kind of things here in America, so America really, could really learn about our past. Yeah. Because America doesn't really know about our past. The internet does make it accessible, but I mean, they had some fantastic things, uh, fantastic archives. Uh, at the BBC on on jazz musicians, all kind of jazz musicians, from Dizzy Gillespie to, like I say, uh, James Baldwin or Chucho Valdez or uh, some very memorable programs. Yeah, the BBC is amazing. And Russia. Russia is a fantastic place. Um, Spain. Spain is really an awesome place. They have great festivals there. Uh, Barcelona. It's a fantastic place. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I played in, in Spain uh, opposite uh, Mogra Miller, who just passed this week, which was really sad for me to hear. Uh, I also played with him in Switzerland, which is was really beautiful. Yeah. But uh, he was a beautiful player. Anyway. No. Uh, so th- there's a lot of places that have really great music. Absolutely. So talk to me about Kansas City. Stand out of my head. Sure. What, what what about Kansas City? Where are you playing these days here in Kansas City, and what, what venues do you like the best here? Um, I'm you know I, I I'm really excited from the moment that they probably dug the first put the shovel in the dirt at the Kauffman Centers where I really wanted to play, and I got the, get the opportunity to play there on September the twentieth, and with a big band, and I'm so excited because. I play with a lot of big bands, and this is a good big band. Uh, so that is something I'm really looking forward to. And uh, in Kansas City, you know, I played the Blue Room a lot. The Blue Room is really modern, and it reminds me of the BIM House over in Amsterdam. And and the BIM House in Amsterdam is where I go and break new music. And because it's a very experimental audience, they absorb well and they listen uh, like with the pin drop, and so I, I break anything new there. So Kansas City, uh, the Blue Room has the potential for that. It's not reached that yet, but it does have the potential for that. Mm-hmm. And it's just awfully, it's an awful lot of fun to play there because you can really get the audience going, and and yet and yet you can be as complicated as you want to, and you can be as simple and down home as you want to, and they absorb it. It's a great audience, and I like that. Um, I think it was difficult. The Jardines place was very difficult for me. I had a hard time relating to the lady that booked the club, and I really wanted to make that kind of a place where I wanted to be, but because, you know, we just couldn't... uh, 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 I I do things on maybe much too emotional level, uh, but I I didn't feel comfortable there. 
but it was a, it, it it was kind of a, a a a nice place to connect with an audience. Right. And I I thought about opening up that club, but I don't know. That's too complicated. But I would love kind of have a place called Deborah's without it being Deborah's. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> but I don't know how to run a bar. Isn't that strange? <laughs> yeah. I do know how to make drinks, but I don't know how to run a bar. And I thought, okay, you know, uh, if you want, you know, the, the old joke they say, well, how do you, you know, how, how, how do you get a musician to be a millionaire? You give him two million. <laughs> There you go. So <laughs> I thought it might be best for me not to go into the club business. Absolutely. But uh, another, other places I like to play in Kansas City, um, uh, those are really the only two, actually. I hope I'm not offending anybody by not mentioning other places I haven't been. Sure. No. And I'm... I actually haven't been in Kansas City too much. When I come here, I'm resting. I yeah. just rest here. Well, that's good. And then I just go out on the road, and I went out on the road every month last last year. I took about twelve trips to around the world and to Europe and stuff. And I'm just relaxing this half of the, and I start again in uh, in the uh, in the summer. Wonderful. So let me ask you this: mm-hmm. Who are, who are your jazz heroes? Who do you admire the most? Well. <laughs> Uh, it's a long list of people um, because it, any kind of really good music is music that I really love. Uh, I know EST uh, is a, sw- a group from Sweden, and uh, Ivan Svensson uh, died uh, last uh, two, three, three years ago. Uh, and I was really looking forward because I was on the festival in Sweden, and they died. I think they were the most innovative band, and I've, I've heard bands. Uh, get close to what they're doing, but they were the most innovative jazz band that I've heard uh, so far, EST. And and uh, I love um, I love uh, trumpet and I love saxophone. So I love Bobby. Bobby's a beautiful player. We did some concerts in Spain this year and just fantastic. And I love to... Uh, I love people that are gone, though. I really do. I love... Uh, uh, John, my Johnny Griffin and my Benny Bailey. I love them. And I, uh, uh, there's a lot of people I love. One of my favorites is Horace Parlin because of the feeling that I get with him. Horace Parlin played with Charlie Mingus. But he's made a lot of records with Archie Shep. But uh, he makes beautiful records by himself. Beautiful. It's this lovely kind of music. And swinging and hard blues. Uh I I could make a whole list for you because there's so many people I love. Love Nancy King. She's one of my favorite singers. She's a beautiful singer. Nancy Moreno. I love uh, Diane Reeves. She's a beautiful singer. And uh, I love some pop singers too. You know, right now I'm listening to Justin B. Justin uh, Justin Timberlake's new record. I love that music. It's really nice. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, I like a lot of European acts that maybe nobody's heard of, but uh, I like my band. I love I love all the people that I work with. I work with, and they're just they're just excellent. I have different. Um, I guess what people would say is I have different uh, teams around the world. Uh, 
mm-hmm. that organize concerts for me, and I lend them my name so they can get the concerts easier. Mm-hmm. And we create music and make records. And I've got a team in Holland, and they're great musicians. Rob Van Bavel, great pianist. I've got a team in Sweden, Andreas Peterson, who's a great guitarist, and uh, and just everybody on uh, every every chair is is beautiful. I've got a nice team in Russia, Yakov uh, Yakov Okun, beautiful player that I think is doing some things uh, here in the United States with the what's that record company. Uh, that Dutch record company, that American record company that has all the all the Dutch people on it. Oh no, okay. Anyway, in any event, and and Joris was a part of that. Joris Taper was a part of that. In any event, I, um, I have another uh, team that's uh, in uh, London and Spain. Uh, Stephen Keel, lovely guy, lovely drummer, Irish drummer. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I'm so absorbed in their music. I barely really get a chance to get toward others so those are some of my top favorites and i i like a lot of different kind of music love barbara streisand mm-hmm. i think barbara streisand is a great singer yeah and uh i can't think of anything i think i like olive adams she's a great singer uh, i like a lot of different people that's wonderful but uh for my jazz i you know, I tend to like hard bebop. I love Charlie Parker and uh, Hot Lips Page. Yeah. People like that from the past. I love that kind of music. Anyway, so that's some of my, you know, just skimming the surface. It goes much deeper than that. Sure. So let, let's get back to you. I, I want to know what some of your short and long-term plans. You talked about kind of resting in KC before going on the road. What plans for albums and touring and festivals do you have coming up? In- well, I, I well, I have a record that's probably uh, I have a record that uh, that I have released uh, recently. Uh, and that's called All Too Soon, and that was a project when the Dutch band, my team, came here to Kansas City, and Bobby Watson was on that, and that's a record that did pretty well. And got, you know, got a lot of recognition around the United States because it was played on the radio stations, jazz radio stations. So I'm really proud of that All Too Soon record. And uh, the next project is not really a project, but it's just a record that's going to be released because I did, uh, uh, I've worked with uh, uh, an orchestra uh, called the Concertgebouw Orchestra, and they have a lot of uh, guest artists. And one of the projects they did was with me and uh, Lee Connitz. So they're going to release that, which I'm really excited about. So I've got several songs on that and playing with him, and it was just very special, and the arrangements are very special. And, of course, I've got I've got this wonderful uh concert coming up in Brownsville, uh, just right up the road, uh, past St. Joe. Did I say that right? Oh, in Brownsville, it's, don't blink, because you'll miss it, (laughs) but it's a wonderful venue. A lot of people come there, go there, uh, artists from New York, classical music, theater music, they have jazz artists that go there, a lot of jazz musicians here in town uh, know about it, but it's really a sweet little place. And you stay there for the weekend and kind of hang out in this mansion and, you know, and you eat well and you play uh, music in a little state-of-the-art 
uh, room that probably doesn't hold more than 50 people, and it's just a wonderful weekend. Uh, so that's Brownsville, uh, uh, and that's in Nebraska, yeah. Brownsville, Nebraska. Yeah. And uh, then I've got my, uh, you know, my concert on the September the 20th uh, with the orchestra, and uh, I'm going. Uh, then I have uh, uh, some concerts I have to do in Sweden uh, with uh, Andreas Peterson. That's the other team that I have in Sweden. And uh, then I'm going to Thailand this year in the fall and work with uh, with the, uh, with my Dutch band there. We're opening up the Asian market and so on and so forth. So that's what we're doing. I from what and, I uh, plans for the future uh, rec- record, record, record. Uh, so I have a uh, plan right now uh, to record again. I was supposed to do it this spring. But I was so tired from the all the traveling last year that uh, I couldn't get my brain working. So I'm working on it now, a uh, new record. Uh, and I don't want to, oh, it, well, I don't want to say what it is right now. Okay. But it's a theme record. Okay. And it's a record that nobody's ever done before, and I'm really excited about it. And it's going to be a mixture of um, American artists and uh, Dutch artists. Wonderful. So uh, that's my future plan. Wonderful. And I'm just opening up the American market a little bit more. I'm really getting out in America uh, quite a lot more than I have, you know, doing uh, mostly big band music, as a matter of fact. In, you know, in Washington State, mm-hmm. like in Spokane and Seattle and doing uh, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee over in the east, Atlanta. Um, Going to try to get to New York this year. I don't go there very often because... I don't know why. <laughs> do you like New York? Those are my plans, and I'm excited about that. Do you like playing in New York? I'm not playing. I don't have anything planned, but I know I have to be there this year. I got gotcha. you. Yes. But have you have you been there before and performed? Is it a place you like? Oh, uh, you know, I've never. I, I played at the Blue Room with Roger Kellaway and Jay Leonard, and I was reunited with Jay Leonard uh, in in a uh, jazz festival just a few months ago but um I'm, i don't have any booking there right now do you hear that it sounds, sounds like, like somebody's trying to call me yeah it sounds like someone's trying to beep through oh yeah but <laughs> well i i got a few more questions for you and i'll and i'll let you free oh no that's okay uh you know don't worry about that oh I no that's fine i I, j- I had a few more here and my next question is you have a very storied life very rich tapestry of history here, and I got a question for you. At this point in your life, is there anything that you would have done differently? No, I never look back. I always look forward. Oh, no, I've had a, well, boy, my life has been, I can say I I love my life. Uh, It's been frustrating when it was happening because of all the things I had to go through to to get where, to break those barriers and boundaries that I needed to break in order to be able to become the kind of artist that I want so I could listen to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was frustrating, but uh, in a lot of, a lot of hours, you know, just working and practicing and, you know, all the records that I had to make, you know, all the records I had to make in a day or two. You know, oh yeah, uh, but I wouldn't change a thing. It's been ex- really exciting and really a lot of fun. So no, my goodness, there would be 
nothing uh, that I would change. Nah. What? Because, you know, what happens is when people say things like that, you have to be at a point mentally in order to be able to absorb good things and bad things, too. You have to be at a point mentally to be accepting of yourself and others. And if and if it come if it's if it's if it's too soon, it doesn't work. Uh, if it's too late, uh, you know you've got regrets. But I think everything happens uh, in the order that it should happen. There probably were a lot of opportunities or things that I maybe didn't move on or. But nah, nah, I'm, I I have really enjoyed my life, and I've lived kind of strange. You know, it's difficult to 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 be in this business for any length of time, and I've been in this business almost 40 years, and I've always had work. You yeah. know, I can't complain. I've always had work. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of unusual when people call and say, hey, you know, can you give me a gig? I'm like, no, you have to live your own life and get your own gigs because it's not like that. I can give you some phone numbers. You can call these people. I can go out there until I'm blue in the face. But it just, life doesn't work like that. Yeah. Life just doesn't work that way. You've got to get out, live, and then your path will be something completely different. No two jazz music, musicians, I believe, have the same path. So that's kind of the realizing that after so many years and accepting that, accepting where you are in the jazz, you know, in the jazz, you know, you know, life and the, the jazz hierarchy or whatever, you know, wherever the jazz is. Mm-hmm. I just feel like, hey, look, I'm just, you know, just trying to get the next gig. That's sure. how I look at it. So in 40 years in the business, and one that is well-versed in storytelling, tell me the best story that you've ever encountered or experienced on the road. Oh, the best? Um, I'll tell you a story. How's that? That's wonderful. (laughs) I don't know about the best. Uh, uh, Because this is the only, because, you know, there's a lot of things that don't come to mind, but I I, I got a a phone call that... uh, that Archie Shepp needed to have a singer at a jazz festival in a place called Leverkusen in Germany. So I love Archie Shepp. I always go see him with Horace Parlin because I love Horace. And uh, and I like the band. It's always an adventure. So I thought, okay, great, I'll play with the band. So I get it, and I was really tired, but I took it anyway. And then we drove all the way over to Germany, uh, and... We got there, and we got there just in time to have a little rehearsal. And rehearsing, rehearsing, and uh, with 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 his band d- doesn't even make sense. But we did it anyway. And so he's he's telling me when I'm supposed to come on. He says, "Now when you hear this line, and it goes like this: When you hear this line, shoo doo 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 bidi bop bop." He says, "Now I'm going to do that a couple of times. When you hear that, you know that the song is going to end, and you're on next." I said, okay, that's fine. And so we're going to hit it with this song. You know, we're going to do this blues number, and you just do some blues things. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. And so and he says, and then you're going to hit it with this nice, nice, beautiful ballad, you know, and then and then we're going to do this, and we're going to do that and that and then. Okay, so, okay, fine. Everybody rehearses. We get on stage, and Archie plays this blowing saxophone solo for like 45 minutes 
I mean, okay, yeah. maybe I'm exaggerating 43 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm going, okay, am I ever going to go on? So finally he gets to this place where he's going, bang, bang, and nobody realizes that he's trying to stop the tune. So it goes on for like another 20 minutes. I mean, he was up there for almost an hour. <laughs> finally they stopped. They were so tired. <laughs> when I get up there, we do the blues thing. So we stop, and this blues thing was okay. And he says, okay, now here you have it. Now you do your 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 uh, your your song. So I start my, my song. Love is funny. Art is sad. Art is quiet. Art is mad. And I just keep going, and it just starts getting slower and slower. By the end of one course would before the piano solo ever comes on the song is like at a snail's pace and i turn around and i think the drummer's asleep <laughs> because i don't know it was Eddie, i think this guy this guy's name was anymore but he's he's dead now but he just he was so tired that the song just came out long and then and then archie jumps on the stage and he says and ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. We did two songs. <laughs> I guess three if you count the blues. So <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> that's my experience singing with Archie Ship, and I just thought that was hilarious. That's I mean, awesome. at the time, it was like really very, very stressful. <laughs> and I was trying every trick in the book in order to make this ballad not seem like it was going slower and slower and slower without, you know, turning around like the typical singer, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. So. <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> that was my, yeah, I guess that's one of my little horror stories. I've got a lots of those. Oh, I'm sure. But um, that's the one that comes to mind. <laughs> that's wonderful. So what was it like to give your autograph out for the first time? Oh, it's just kind of a surprise. You want my signature? <laughs> and I kept thinking to myself, you know, what could you possibly do with with my signature? What is that? I, I, I think autographs are really weird. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought, it, but now, I mean, but how I look at autographs now is uh, this is my way of uh, connecting with the audience. I love signing my CDs or signing things for people. I ask them about their life and, you know, where they come from, and I hear some remarkable stories. So it really is a very interesting to have that communication. And I, I like to stay afterwards for long periods of time and talk with people. Great. So what's the last album or song that you listened to before this interview? Uh, let's see. What I have on now is uh, uh, before this interview, I was looking at Jeopardy. No, Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> That's actually what I was looking at at TV. <laughs> music wise, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I purposely didn't listen to music today, but it was on purpose. But uh, listening to Dexter Gordon right now. Wonderful. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Deborah, you're a fascinating person. I, I had no idea yeah. where the road was going to go and it winded <laughs> and went. And I hope it wasn't too boring. No. Going on and on, but. <laughs> This was Thank wonderful. Thank you for uh, you know for the interview. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, lo I I I love all of you jazz musicians, and and if I can just get a little bit more exposure and get your music out there, it's kind of like your father with the Saturday morning uh, church, so to speak, where he introduced you to the music. I I feel like 
that's very vital I for people. I forgot to add that it was kind of, a, I was jealous of the music, so it made me, it delayed my jazz education because it took my dad away from me. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, one, one more thing, speaking of your father that I wanted to ask, mm-hmm. based on the fact that he was a trombonist, was there something special about working with Slide Hampton? Yes. Yes, that was very special. That was another funny story. Yes, that was very special because Slide is such a giving person. We did our record. I did my first my my first record with him. Uh, I did I did uh, my first recording in Belgium was with Slide Hampton, and it was a twelve hour recording session. You get a little punch drunk after four. Oh, yeah. yeah, you do. And oh, we yeah. stretched that out to twelve. Wow. Okay, on the twelfth hour, um, we were all so tired, and we were doing jumping at the Savoy, and I had this like a little special course and everything I was doing. I don't know where it came from, but it it's just when you know when you're next to people like that, you know, then you your imagination just it just flows. You're just very open. And but when it came to the solo, we thought, oh, who's going to take a solo? And everybody was like, oh, I'm so tired. Is it possible? I mean, and then the drummer, who was the weakest part of the group, said, oh, I'll take a solo. And we went, oh, no, it's 12 hours. You better not mess it up. Anyway, so, and, and, it, was in a, and it was in a studio where we couldn't see each other. So we get to the end, we get to the solo, and the drummer is taking the solo, and, and his time is so messed up. You don't even know where you can't even feel one because he's like doing the drum solo of the of the century mm-hmm. in his mind, and <laughs> we all came in at the at the same time and kept it together until the end of the song, and we were just like, unbelievable, we did it, it's over, it's finished, and the drummer goes. Oh, you know, I think I need to do that again. We thought, uh-uh, no way. You're not doing it. You're going to live with it. <laughs> well, the funny part is, after, because he's a friend of mine, and, he's, and we got him off the drums. He's a, he's a great singer and very, very successful. He plays with Ange, Angeline, Angela Kidjo. Anyway, he's, he's a fantastic musician. And so he came to the house. He came to the apartment. And he's sitting there with my husband and I, and he's saying, I don't know what I did on that drum solo. <laughs> we just looked at each other and laughed. <laughs> he said, "How did I make it through that drum solo?" I said, "You know, we were so we were so tired that we were just glad it was over." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just thought that was <laughs> that's a great story. Anyway, but uh, uh, Slide was uh, very giving. Uh, never, never, ever. He's such a cool guy. After twelve hours. Uh, with the old seasoned professional uh, musician like that, he was a gentleman the entire time. Never said any bad word, you know. I, at least I don't remember him, you know, saying anything wrong. He was nothing but encouraging, and it was just amazing uh, his uh, patience with us. So, uh, yeah, he's 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 a, an extraordinary person. Extraordinary. That's great, it's, and uh, very musical, and and he has got these this following of people that you know that just want everything that he's ever recorded. You yeah. know, he's, he, I, I feel very privileged to have recorded with him. So, speaking of 
world-class musicians, of all the musicians that you've met, I, this is my final question for you. If got these really big, big questions. <laughs> yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Who's the only? Who's the... <laughs> so if you could go back in a jazz time machine or a music time machine and meet uh-huh. one musician that you have never met, who would it be and what would you talk to them about? Oh, Benny Moten. Yeah. Benny Moten cool. from Kansas City. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Benny Moten. I want to talk to him. About what? That was, you know, Kansas City was, Kansas City was the place to be. Kansas City was the place to be. Uh, I've talked with a lot of people, like, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've you know, I've played opposite of, uh, you know, many of those Kansas City Six guys, and, you know, uh, I met them, but one person I didn't meet was Benny Moten. Uh, you know, he was dead uh, long ago. Uh, but I, I would love to meet him and speak with him. Yeah, wonderful. Because because there's so many musicians that went came you know came and went through his band, and you know I mean the club scene was was really remarkable in those days. My dad gave me an idea about what it was like in those days on Twelfth and Vine. He said it was like, you know, it was like you know it was like a few miles of of jazz clubs, uh, you know, and it was just great imagination and fun and it was an exciting time in Kansas City at that time and uh, I would I just like would would like to know what the halls were like at those those times and the syncopation of their music at that time was completely opposite of what we play today uh, you know you know what was the climate like for him oh yeah that's who I'm looking forward to meeting what a great way to end the interview that's wonderful (laughs) that's wonderful thank you very much I appreciate your time. This was a delight. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks, Deborah. And uh, tell your crew, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Y'all take care You've now. Been a delight. You too. Have a great night. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest musicians giving you that jazz. And a huge thank you to Miss Deborah Brown for her time and insight into her talented craft, along with my studio engineer, Mr. John Christopher. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit the Neon Jazz blog at theneonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.